Life is precious. And we learned that again in South Carolina. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. If I decide to run for president, I want you to pin me down. I'm a Republican, so I'm not hostile to people who have been successful. I just want to announce to the Red Sox fans in the room that I am a New York Mets fan. I'm David First. We learned this week that Cami Anderson, the controversial superintendent of the Newark public school system, will be leaving on July 8th. Governor Christie also announced that three of his cabinet members will be leaving within the next few weeks. We'll talk about those changes with the Star-Ledger's Tom Moran later in the show. But we begin with a focus on the governor's track record on guns. His uh, statements and actions when it comes to Second Amendment rights arguments and gun control policies were already facing heavy scrutiny before the events of June 17th, when nine people were shot and killed in the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Earlier this month, Governor Christie traveled to South Carolina, where he tried to gain credibility with the gun rights crowd, claiming that no new gun laws were made in New Jersey since he became governor. And in New Jersey, he recently pardoned two people for illegally transporting guns in the state. Here to help us sort out the governor's political relationship with guns are Olivia Nuzzi, who covers politics for the Daily Beast, and New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Olivia, you've written about Governor Christie and guns. He's been trying to reassure voters that he's a Second Amendment kind of guy as he prepares to make an announcement on whether he's going to run for president. Can you walk us through some of his most significant history when it comes to gun ownership in New Jersey? Well, his career started in 1993 when he ran for the state Senate, and he said at the time that the issue which motivated him to get into the race was the issue of assault weapons. Um, There were certain members of the Republican Party in the New Jersey legislature at the time that wanted to list the state's assault weapons ban, and it was something that he considered to be crazy and radical. He said that there were already too many firearms on the streets of New Jersey. Um, He ran again in 1995 um, for the state assembly and pretty much was using the same platform. He was very much against lifting the assault weapons ban. And today, you know, he's in a very different position where seeking the Republican nomination, he needs to convince primary voters that he's a Second Amendment advocate. So we see him taking positions that are, I think, pretty extreme considering how strong New Jersey's gun control laws are. He's been pardoning people who've been, uh, he feels, wrongly uh, convicted of gun crimes in New Jersey, I think, sort of as a way of convincing people that he's a Second Amendment advocate without actually taking the steps to change the laws in New Jersey. Well, Matt, here's a quote from the governor speaking in South Carolina earlier this month. He says, I know there's a lot of perception about my view on gun rights because I'm from New Jersey and because the laws are the way they are. But these laws were being made long before I was governor, and no new ones have been made since I've been governor. He has actually signed 10 gun laws, by my account, including, and some of them, are these are not necessarily major pieces of legislation, but there's a ban on those who are on the federal terrorism watch list to buy firearms. There is a requirement for the state to submit those who shouldn't own weapons to a national background check system. He had increased penalties for unlawful possession. These are all laws that he signed since he's been in office. What he said in South Carolina is just flatly not true. He even proposed a ban on the 50 caliber rifle 
and then he reversed course. He said there was no evidence that this gun was used in, in New Jersey, so he actually vetoed it. At the same time, he had signed all these laws. He did it, by the way, though, on a Friday night. That's when it was released to us. Uh, so it got you know very little coverage, obviously, nationally. Friday night news dump is when you release things that you want to hide. Um, and this has been an issue for him with conservatives from the get-go. I mean, he had to answer questions about this when he was running for governor on, on Fox News to Sean Hannity, and he's been careful to calibrate his position and really change his position uh, the closer he's gotten to running for president. Here he is uh, cautiously allowing gun control to be part of the conversation with Charlie Rose on uh, CBS this morning back in January of 2013. In New Jersey, first off, we have the second toughest gun laws in America is already. Is that enough? Well, I think we have to have a conversation about it. But I think if all we talk about is just controlling guns, which we should talk about, um, we're not doing enough. The other thing he doesn't talk about in South Carolina is he's he's like stood up to the NRA a couple of times, uh, at least vocally. I had asked him there was an NRA ad featuring the uh, President Obama's daughters a couple of years ago. Are the president's kids more important than yours? Then why is he skeptical about putting armed security in our schools when his kids are protected by armed guards at their school? And I asked him about it, and he he went off. He had a very strong statement about um, how inappropriate it was. To talk about the president's children or any public officer's children who have, not by their own choice, but by requirement to have protection and to use that somehow um, to try to make a political point, I think is reprehensible. At a press conference, a Republican future presidential candidate went after the NRA. It was it was one of those moments that make Chris Christie Chris Christie. The one of those moments that really uh, affirm his motto as he goes into the 2016 election, which is "Tell it like it is." That was a moment when he when he told it like it was. He disagreed with the NRA when they were calling for armed guards at schools after Sandy Hook after the Sandy Hook massacre. So he's had moments where he's you know really kind of uh, uh, stood up for. Um, what he seems to believe on this issue, and then other moments where he just doesn't tell the truth. Olivia, earlier this month, Governor Christie pardoned an armored truck driver who illegally transported a legally owned gun in in his glove compartment. And writing about that pardon of uh, Stephen Josie Davis, you said, the pardon is a convenient way for Christie to make a grand display of his opposition to New Jersey's laws without actually doing anything to change them. Well, Stephen Josie Davis is a young man who has ambitions of being a police officer uh, for his job as an armored truck driver. He legally owns a gun. In New Jersey, it's very easy to illegally transport legally owned guns. There's a very specific uh, set of standards for how you can transport them in your vehicle. And he mistakenly put the gun in his glove box without realizing it and drove to work. And on his way home from work, he was stopped because of his expired registration. Here's Stephen Josie Davis on Fox News. A police officer stopped me for a traffic violation, saying that my registration was expired. Okay. Due to the fact of my registration being expired, I did reach for my credentials. Oh, and you're thinking, it's it, the registration's in the glove compartment? Yes. That's where the gun is. So you told the cop what? I told the, uh, told the police officer that my firearm was in the glove compartment. And he was given a ticket. They took his gun, and they told him to come pick it up on Monday. That was a Friday. When he went to pick it up, he was arrested and uh, told that he had committed a felony. He's been lobbying the governor for several months, 
to pardon him, and then uh, he finally did. It's a pardon that a lot of people would say, yeah, this, this seems like a pardon that makes a lot of sense. This person probably made an honest mistake. So uh, is this a, a great opportunity for Christie to make a decision that does little damage to him within New Jersey, but uh, gains some uh, credibility for him uh, in states like South Carolina? I think it's a win-win for Christie. I mean, no one is going to look at this case and say that. Christie shouldn't have pardoned him. Um, but at the same time, Christie really didn't have to do very much here besides sign a letter. You know, when you look at these things, when you look at his actions and you look at his policy, what does Christie believe, Olivia, when it comes to guns? I think Christie believes that he wants to get elected president. <laughs> and he's going to do whatever it takes to appeal to Republican primary voters. But, you know, I will say on the issues that he has flip-flopped on historically, abortion, uh, gun rights, he has never wavered, really. You know, even though he stood up to the NRA, even though he signed some new gun laws in, into law, he's never backed off his position that he is a Second Amendment advocate. We're going to continue to do things within our authority to be able to do it. But in the end, if you really want to change those laws in New Jersey, um, send me a Republican legislature. Governor Christie talks tough when the subject is terrorism of an international nature, you know, terror coming from abroad. Uh, Here he is at a town hall meeting at Tommy's Country Ham House in Greenville, South Carolina, on June 3rd. It is a tough, dangerous, dirty world out there, everybody. And there are people who want to kill Americans just because we're American. And because we stand up for liberty and freedom for everyone around the world, not just ourselves. And if you think those folks are going to play by some nice set of rules, then you're kidding yourselves. But when he's making a a speech at the Faith and Freedom Coalition's Road to Majority Conference in Washington, D.C., about what just happened in Charleston, South Carolina, it's different. Olivia, he says, you know, we have to open our hearts. We have to pray harder. This type of conduct is something that only our display of our own love and good faith that's in our heart can change. Laws can't change this. Only the goodwill and the love of the American people can let those folks know that that act was unacceptable, disgraceful, and that we need to do more to show that we love each other. Well, I think you have to remember the crowd he was addressing at that conference. It was a crowd of evangelical conservative voters. And frankly, Every politician who addressed that crowd was really walking on eggshells when discussing Charleston. I don't think it's that Christie doesn't believe that what happened in Charleston was racism or was terrible, but I think talking to a crowd like that, you are really thinking about every word that comes out of your mouth, whether or not they're going to interpret it as being an attack on their values. Matt, what about the Confederate flag flying on the grounds of the State House in South Carolina. As Republican candidates one by one began to, to slowly address this question, Christie seemed to be just about the last voice left to join the debate. He is literally the last voice to join the debate. Bush, Rubio, Walker, Paul Cruz, Kasich, Perry, Huckabee, Santorum, Graham, Trump, Fiorina, Carson, Jindal have all commented on whether the flag should be taken down one way or another. And on Tuesday, the governor finally issued a statement to the Daily Beast saying that he agrees with South Carolina's governor and he commends her for her decision to remove the flag. Mitt Romney was the first major Republican to say anything about it. He called for it to be taken down immediately. And I was surprised that, you know, where was Christie after that? Um, It seems to me he missed a huge opportunity to tell it like it is, which is the title of the town hall meetings that he's hosting when he goes around the country 
Greek campaigning for president. Maybe he would have hurt himself in South Carolina with a few uh, conservatives, but he, he doesn't expect to win the South Carolina primary anyway. There would have been a much more uh, longer term uh, approach to the campaign if he had, you know, been the first to take a stand on this. He would have distinguished himself from the field, which is very crowded. And then maybe after that, he'd be more believable when he says he's changed his mind on guns and now believes there are too many laws and gun control doesn't work the way Democrats say it does. It seems he's now distrusted on both sides of this issue, and that really strikes at the blunt talk image. This is his brand. New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz and Olivia Nuzzi, who covers politics for the Daily Beast. Thanks both for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, David. You want things like that? Elect a new legislature. I'll tell you right now, I got Senator Bucco here. If he was in the majority in the New Jersey State Senate, there would be a completely different approach to the Second Amendment in New Jersey than there there is now. So, again, going back to the elections have consequences line they do this is the christie tracker podcast i'm david first another week in christie land another slew of departures to announce this time it's cammy anderson the embattled superintendent of the newark public school system she's supposed to be leaving on july 8th and according to a statement from the governor, three members of his cabinet, uh, state treasurer, health commissioner, and state banking and insurance commissioner are all supposed to leave within the next few weeks. We're joined now by Tom Moran, editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger. Welcome back, Tom. Thanks, Dave. So, Cammie Anderson finally leaving. This was somewhat sudden, wasn't it? Uh, well, not sudden in the sense that she's faced a ton of opposition over the last few years, and everybody was wondering at what point the governor would uh, pull the trigger on this. The school committee and the city council have both issued votes of no confidence. Students and teachers have protested. Cammie Anderson stopped attending school board meetings over a year ago because she was jeered by the audience and was it was unconstructive. There was this giant foment in opposition to the reform she's pushing in Newark. There was a sense that this doesn't work politically, and there were rumors for a while, especially in the last few weeks, that the governor had finally decided to give up. So he has, and he's replaced her, and that's a big victory for Newark Mayor Raz Baraka, a Democrat who fights with, with, with Christie on pretty much everything. The state controls the district, and this is a signal that it's probably going to move back to the city. Is that to where we're headed? Yeah, I think the governor and Baraka are having a joint uh, appearance within the next several days. And that really can only mean one thing, that there is an agreement to begin a process at least over the next year or two to give control back to Newark, because that's Baraka's uh, main goal and his reason for, would be the only reason he would join Christie at a press conference about this. Former New Jersey Department of Education Commissioner Chris Cerf is going to be uh, replacing Cammie Anderson. What, what does this all mean, Tom? What does this mean for students in Newark, and what does this mean for Chris Christie? Well, Chris Cerf is going to run this. Many people were shocked at that decision because Chris Cerf is closely associated with Cammie Anderson. He was supporting all her reforms. He was her boss. He's the one who recruited her. So if everyone in Newark is opposed to Cammie Anderson, replacing her with Chris Cerf at first seems kind of crazy. And there are some people who do think it's crazy. What I think the governor is trying to do, most people are telling me, is ensure that at least for another year or two during this transition that the policies of the administration are kept in place and CERF can do that. Meanwhile, the hope is that people in Newark, like the mayor, who want local control, will be appeased by the fact that they got rid of CAMI, which they demanded, and they will eventually, over a certain time period that's not clear yet, get local control. So put up with having Chris CERF. And Chris Cerf, the hope also is, will be a little bit, have a little bit 
better political touch than Cami Anderson. But we'll see about that. Is this a victory for students? Is this not a victory for students? You know, that's hopefully the most important part of this equation. Yeah, well, it doesn't wind up that way politically. You know, the adults, when it comes to school reform, tend to put themselves first. The unions are after, you know, good terms to remember. The city... Uh, local politicians are in it for the jobs. The Newark School District, after all, is by far the largest employer in town, employs twice as many people as the city government. It's usually a lot of adults fighting about adults. But I like your focus on the kids because that, after all, is what this is all about. And there have been, you know, modest improvements under Anderson in the last four years. Some test scores have improved at the high school level, especially. The graduation rate has lifted. But by and large, there's not been a lot of tangible, demonstrable, measurable progress for the kids. There's a lot of promise, and in some pockets, there's tremendous success. And the team academy charter schools, North Star charter schools, are both uh, d- doing remarkably well, and even with a lot of really poor kids. So there's some hope. The concern, what this comes down to now is, and the question of is it good for kids, will Newark revert back to a system where this is all about the adults and where they don't really care much about the reform and, and use it for patronage and use it to feather their own nests? In the last school election, 7% of voters in Newark turned out to vote. And when you have very low turnout, as you traditionally do with school elections anywhere, but especially in Newark, when you have that low turnout, it gives disproportionate power to the organized groups like the political machines and the unions. And their top priority has never seemed to – I think history is pretty clear on this – their top priority is not kids. So I worry about this, even though, you know, the logic of democracy says you have to at some point give the control back to Newark. But I'm kind of holding my ears and hoping there's no explosion. What about all those cabinet members leaving? Can you run down the list here, and should we be reading anything into this? Yeah, that, that's more clear. I mean, the stuff in Newark I don't think is much related to the presidential campaign. It's really just trying to, you know, salvage what, what is left of the reform effort there. But the cabinet replacements, I mean, this is a mark of complete breakdown and chaos within the administration. The Treasurer, Health Commissioner, Banking Insurance Committer, recent months we had Human Services Commissioner, the DCA Commissioner, that's Department of Community Affairs, Richard Constable, he was in charge of all the Sandy Relief stuff, and he's getting terrible reviews. And the Attorney General is still an acting Attorney General after two years. You do not have any significant players in the Cabinet anymore. Christie is a notorious control freak, and there haven't been any big figures of political standing for many years, I'd say since Brett Schundler left during his first year in office. If you're a really high-caliber person, why would you want to take this job, and why would you want to stay in it? There's really no prospect of big progress as long as Christie is running for president. You know, and his polls now have dipped down to 30 percent. We're lower than Corzine, nibbling at Nixon territory. So why do you want to join a cabinet like that? Tom Moran, editorial page editor for The Star-Ledger. Thanks for joining us again. Sure thing, Dave. The Christy Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker Podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. And you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z. Tom Moran at Tom A. Moran. I'm David First. Okay, Governor, where do you like to listen to the Christy Tracker podcast? In your car? The iPod? First off, it's none of your business.